The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Data Reaper podcast brought to you by Vicious Syndicate. Uh, my name is Ridiculous Hat. I am your host and a uh, class expert for Vicious Syndicate. And joining me, as always, is Zach O, our chief editor. How is it going, Zach? I'm doing great. Glad to hear it. And we're very excited to bring you all this podcast on as many platforms as we can soon. You may not be able to find this episode quite yet on uh, on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, but it's coming. Don't you worry. Uh, you can go to the website and add us to your podcast client if it supports RSS feeds, or you can listen to us on Spotify. So check it out over at viciousyndicate.com. Remember to subscribe, and new episodes should be dropping a couple days after each report we're we're targeting. Zach, you work on this report all week, and usually uh, after that Thursday drop, we need a minute to get ourselves together, but I think we're planning on this being a weekend companion piece, right? Yeah. Ideally, we publish this on Saturdays. Uh, sometimes it will be a little earlier on the Saturday. Sometimes it will be a little later. It depends on how uh, things are progressing, but that's the aim in general. But we can't commit to a, a specific uh, d- uh, time, just like the report. Um, but expect it around Saturdays. Yep. And we are pretty active in uh, in talking about this in the Vicious Syndicate Discord, which you can find on the website. There's a big button in the right our official Discord server, definitely check that out, as well as follow us on Twitter if you aren't already. And today, our episode is going to be, we're going to give a broad overview of developments in specific classes that we found really interesting. Uh, In particular, Demon Hunter, Warrior, and Druid are the top ones to cover, but we may touch on the other six classes as well. Yes, there are only nine classes. Sorry, Thrall. You didn't make it this time. So let's start where everyone seems to be starting in the ladder this month. With our good friend Illidan Stormrage. Demon Hunter still looks really good, Zach. Yeah, the story this week is that uh, Demon Hunter is not really feeling enough heat from the meta. And we see Highlander Hunter falling in its win rate a little bit. It's definitely feeling the pressure from the Demon Hunter matchup. But Demon Hunter, still the matchup spread is extremely powerful still performs very well against every class besides Warrior. And there is definitely a concern here, though I would wait until next week. If Demon Hunter is still extremely dominant next week, then I'll start getting worried. However, I do expect to see the meta respond a bit more aggressively against the class, uh, especially with a potential rise of Warrior. Uh, So we'll see what happens. I'm definitely not... not too happy about the fact that no other class seems capable of beating Demon Hunter consistently, at least if you look at the aggregated stats. And classes are trying, perhaps they're not trying hard enough to improve uh, their percentages against Demon Hunter. Um, And this is kind of the goal of the meta right now, trying to drop uh, Demon Hunter a little bit and, and give other classes a chance to breathe. So how do we improve our percentage against Demon Hunter? Do we put Acidic Swamp Ooze in all of our decks? Uh, Definitely not. Uh, Acidic Swamp Ooze is one of the top bait cards in the current meta. Uh, What I mean by bait is that it's a good card against Warrior. Uh, I don't doubt that it might be a very good choice to run weapon tech at top legend when there are 30-40% Warriors. It's an effective tech against them. However, Acidic Swampus is actually a terrible card against Demon Hunter. The reason it's terrible uh, is that keeping it in your opening hand, let's say you're, you have Ooze in your opening hand and you're keeping it. You're keeping it for what? You're keeping it to potentially destroy our Warglaves of Azanoth on turn 5. Meanwhile, you have a dead card until that turn, and Demon Hunter will definitely take advantage of you having a dead card. So you sit with this Acidic Swampus, and when they equip the Warglave of Azanoth, they already spent three charges, smacking your minions and smacking your face. So great, you might destroy one weapon charge. 
Siddick Swampus is just not good in the matchup. And I've seen a lot of people keep a Siddick Swampus for that moment. You know, it's like Millhouse Mana Storm moment to just wait until you have five mana and you equip that as an oath, I'm ready. And it just doesn't work out very well. So um, on general, throughout ladder, if you're not playing a top legend, forget about the Acidic Swampus. It's not going to help you. Against Warrior, it's effective. So what does help against Demon Hunter? What is effective? Because we know that, that the way to beat it is Risky Skipper, gain some armor, and counter pressure. But for, for decks that don't have access to Risky Skipper, for the other classes... Or even other warrior um, decks. How do you how do you effectively challenge Demon Hunter? Is there anything that looks like it can be even close to to contesting it? Maybe like Quest Warlock. Well, so here's the thing about Demon Hunter. It's not enough. We we've said that we've touched on it uh, last week. It's not enough to just try and fend off its aggression and remove its minions and try to gain life in the process. It's very important to provide counter pressure, to develop your own offense on the board, your own assault, and kill the Demon Hunter. Because if you don't, then the Demon Hunter will draw its cards, and its cards equal damage, and you're not going to be able to outlast it even if, if you have good life gain and good removal. So the, the formula to beat Demon Hunter is push it off the board in the early game, and develop your own board so that you can pressure the Demon Hunter and not allow it to deal damage to your face. Uh, to do that, if, if the Demon Hunter manages to do that comfortably, you're in trouble. So defensive decks uh, need to have some counter pressure. You look at Bomb Warrior, for example, it has the ability to launch some counter pressure. You look at Enrage Warrior, has the ability to produce a lot of counter pressure and just kill the Demon Hunter before it can do anything. So, if you're looking at other classes, they definitely don't have the same tools. They don't have the armor gain to outlast. So, they kind of need to get ahead on the board, push the Demon Hunter off the board, and develop pressure quickly before the Demon Hunter can unleash enough damage to, to, to finish the opponent off. Um, one class that has great potential in countering Demon Hunter is Rogue. The problem with Rogue will touch on, a, on it a bit later, is that it's difficult to tech for the Demon Hunter matchup without hurting your other matchup. But Rogue with Spy Mistress is... The, the stealth build is one of the best ways to beat Demon Hunter consistently. And it's not currently seen in aggregated stats, but I will say that it is a good deck against Demon Hunter specifically. That variant. Um... Obviously, that variant will have issues against Warrior, um, much like many other things. But it, it's a good deck against Demon Hunter. So if you want to beat Demon Hunter and you don't want to play Warrior, try the stealth variant of Galakrond Rogue or try the secret variant and run Spy Mistress. You know, I'm still seeing people not running Spy Mistress and Rogue, and that upsets me. And the reason why it upsets me, it's because it's free... 5% in the matchup. Like, you have the most popular matchup in the format in, on ladder. You have you can add uh, two copies of a card that adds 5% against it. And it's not a narrow tech. Spy Mistress is fantastic against Hunter 2. It's good against... It's good tempo against pretty much anything. It's only kind of mediocre against Warrior. And I feel like uh, builds of Rogue that originate from top legend where there's 30 40 percent warriors and you know players there are saying oh you know spy mistress isn't great against worse so i'm not going to include it they get posted you know top legend rogue deck this and this and then when people take it to ladder and they're in diamond five or they're at uh, lower legend they play it without the spy mistress and they get smacked around by the demon hunters so rogue with spy mistress Probably the best non-warrior way to beat Demon Hunter consistently. Yeah, that makes sense. It's It's got the counter pressure down. Uh, you can backstab people off the board very quickly early on. The most important thing is that Rogue can pressure very quickly, has a lot of damage potential, and it's a quick class. So once it has the board, it can 
really get going quickly and kill the Demon Hunter before it can altruist it out of the game. It can still happen, but at a lower percentage. Yeah, I think something that everyone that has played this ladder, this meta, will, will tell you is that sometimes altruist just happens. Looking from the Demon Hunter perspective, the class seems fairly stable. The decks that we're playing seems mostly refined, except those last four or five cards are so different everywhere you look. We know almost always we'd be playing at least one I-Beam, but Sigil Runner, Sightless Watcher, Spectral Sight, sometimes even Acidic Swampoos, which I think is incorrect. It's, there's so much variance in those last few cards. Now, I've been running a bill lately with Crimson Sigil Runner, and it seems like playing that card is still a really good idea. What, are, what have you seen from the data? I'll ask you a question. Let's imagine there was a neutral card called Novice Engineer, and it costs one mana. How many classes in a game would play a one mana Novice Engineer? Who would not play it? Exactly. Like, we're talking about a one mana 1-1 one, one that cycles. That's still good. So the fact that it was nerfed uh, kind of makes people want to cut it, but it's still a good card. And yes, it's not exactly a one mana novice engineer because you need the outcast. However, the deck it's just it's just so easy to activate outcast with this deck, so it's really not that big of a deal. So it's very close to being a one mana novice engineer. And you would play that card in every kind of deck, whether it's a control deck, whether it's an aggressive deck. Uh, having that kind of power in a card is is just very good. It's a very good card, and I see no reason to replace it. The deck still performs very well. Uh, with it and the important part is that um card draw is important for demon hunter especially after the patch because there's no priestess so you need the altruist finisher in the late game if you don't draw enough cards you're not going to consistently get to your altruist and you might suffer from some issues running into slower matchups if you don't have card draw i've seen people play double spectral sight and one i-beam we decided to recommend to I-Beam still because I-Beam is an incredible card in the mirror. Like, it's such a huge swing and uh, you can get punished from not, for not having I-Beam in the mirror. Uh, so two copies, definitely good. Spectral Sight is a little bit clunky. It's okay. Running two copies might punish you a little bit, especially in tempo matchups. It's mostly targets things like Quest Warlock, like Galakron Priest, where having the Altruist is really important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I agree about the I-Beam. I was running uh, a list with one before, and I kept getting completely blown out by Frozen Shadow Weaver, and just being able to consistently I-Beam and Shadow Weaver back has made a big difference. Well, that's a, there's not really much more to talk about in Demon Hunter because there's not tech cards to talk about here. The deck list, there's just the one. It's just really, really strong, yeah. good against everything besides Warrior. The best deck on ladder... Unless you're a top legend, and then it becomes more heavily contested uh, by the warrior class, uh, which should bring us to that class. Yes, we should talk about that class. Hey, how about right now? Looking at the at the meta report from this week, it looks like warrior is really interesting, and maybe one of the better warrior decks is not in Rage Warrior. Now, we touched on this last week. We should talk about the evolution of Bomb Control Warrior. And the addition of, well, it looks like there's a new card. I think uh, I think Uncle Mo, Asmodai himself, uh, was kind of the, the frontrunner of this tech of Evil Quartermaster. Yes, so Warrior is looking very good. Uh, Warrior is in prime position to challenge uh, Demon Hunter's dominance. It'll be very interesting to see what happens next week. Usually, uh, the, way, the way things go is the VS Data Reaper report, the first one after a patch, usually shows okay, this is what's happening, this is what's good, and then people, you know, they follow up on that and, and start running a more efficient builds. But the second report after uh, an expansion or a patch is where we really hone on the enemies of the meta and you start seeing a bigger response to what's at the top. And it'll be interesting to see whether Demon Hunter can fend off, can defend its position as the top meta decks against the warrior class um um my money is on warrior to eventually winning out because enraged warrior looks extremely powerful and bomb control warrior i'll tell you something this week evil quartermaster this card is looks insane 
the fact that it wasn't played before, it just shows that you know we we have a limitation. We can only evaluate cards that are being played. We can't tell how good of a card Evil Quartermaster is if it's not played. But now that it is played, I can tell you it's one of the best cards in the deck. So the important thing to remember when you're looking at Bomb Control Warrior is the 2-mana, 4-mana curve. A lot of times you play cash on 2. And then Rage Warrior gets the Livewire Ants and Car, and it has a fantastic follow-up. However, Bomb Control Warrior plays cash on 2, and then on turn 3 kind of does nothing. Bomb Raggler is not, act is not a very good turn 3 play. Um, not in Enrage Warrior, and definitely not in Bomb Control. So having Evil Quartermaster, putting that, developing that body to bridge into the wrench caliber turn, giving you that bit of armor, that bit of value, is absolutely perfect for this deck. And we can we could see immediately the moment that Evil Quartermaster started seeing play, the archetype's win rate rose, and it became stronger in a few specific matchups. So Definitely play, play Quartermaster. However, it did give us a conundrum. So what do we drop for Quartermaster? Now, the most popular thing has been to drop Sword and Board. However, Sword and Board is a very powerful card for two reasons. One, it's very effective against Demon Hunter. It's also good against Hunter. Not just In every fast matchup, it's useful. But it's an extremely important card in Demon Hunter matchup, worth up to 5% in the win rate. If you don't run a sword and board, and you don't run Quartermaster, you're not actually favored in the matchup. So by running both, your favorability increases. And just, you know, since Bomb Controller doesn't really have ways to develop the board as aggressively, you know, with things like Wormall Challenger, like in Rage Warrior, it needs a way to remove things. It needs to a way to kill that Overseer, kill that Battlefiend before things spin out of control. Uh, so, Sword and Board, very good. The other late game reason why it's good is because of Grom. Hellscream, we're still very impressed with the card. We're not impressed with Kargath. We don't think Kargath is a very good card in most matchups. It's okay. It's pretty good in the mirror, in the direct mirror, because of the armor and the the shuffle uh, effect. has some some value, but Grom is good in the mirror. Better than Kargath and extremely powerful in other matchups like Mage, like Priest, like Rogue. So it's just a more versatile card. And not having Sword and Board means you cannot activate your Grom that consistently. You only have Risky Skipper. And Risky Skipper, usually you use it for other things. Um, so we had to look at what was underperforming. And we saw Bomb Wrangler as a card that people value very highly because of how it performs in Enrage Warrior. However, in Bomb Control Warrior, it doesn't have as many applications. You don't have Inner Rage. You don't have Rampage. The only good application for it is Risky Skipper. And that's a turn 5, turn 6 play. However, what we've also noticed is not only is Quartermaster a better turn 3 play than Bomb Regular, it's also a better Risky Skipper activator for this deck. Because this deck is not necessarily about flooding the board with Boombots. It wants the skipper to reliably clear the board. And having Quartermaster, having two minions in one card, allows you to consistently have an activated skipper on turn five. You play skipper, Quartermaster, and the lackey, and you get the two damage AoE within one card. So that has a lot of value for this specific archetype. Uh, so we said, hey, let's cut Bomb Wrangler. What if this card is not untouchable? And I can already give you the scoop the people who have net decked us already from the report and running this build, tearing through ladder right now. This looks like the real the real deal. The move to elevate this stack another level. So why should we be running this list over in Rage Warrior, which we've kind of known to be one of the best decks in the meta for a while? Because it sounds like our Demon Hunter matchup is worse. I am guessing the application here is to beat other warriors, at least to start. And also to casually demolish Quest Warlock if people are still trying to make that work? Well, actually, the Warrior matchups are very close. Both uh, Bomb Control Warrior does not beat Enrage Warrior. There is some argument to be made that Enrage Warrior might be a little bit favored, but it's so close, and I think that since Bomb Control is still developing as a deck, we cannot tell 
it seems like a very close matchup, a 50-50 matchup, essentially. Um, and Rage Warrior is better against Aggro Demon Hunter right now, but we'll have to see what happens when Sword and Board and Quartermasters are played in the same deck, because my early impression is that this matchup might become 60-40 now. Uh, but yeah, it's not as dominant as in Rage Warrior, but what Bomb Control Warrior does that in Rage Warrior doesn't do is that it handles slow, some slower matchups better. For example, Mage it performs better against Mage. Obviously, it stomps on Warlocks, and it also does better against Druid. And Rage Warrior can struggle against Druid, especially the slower Dragon variant, because of all the big bodies, the quick ramp and the taunt package. Warrior kind of struggles dealing with big pawns. Uh, we remember, if you remember, Big Druid, when it was around, was actually a hard con counter to Enrage Warrior, even though it, the deck sucked. Uh, but kind of the Dragon uh, variant of Spell Druid kind of has the same, similar tools to that old Big Druid deck, so it has good game against Enrage Warrior, but obviously Bomb Control Warrior uh, with the bombs, since Druid really likes to draw its cards, it also draws its bombs, and also the deck is capable of killing the threats that uh, the Druid develops. So it's good in some matchups. It's better in some matchups. Not as good in not as good a specialist deck at beating Agro Demon Hunter, but both decks are exquisite, extremely powerful, very good. Some strengths and weaknesses for each. Run either one, you're probably gonna do well. It's hard to go wrong with this class. Yeah, and there's even a third option we haven't even talked about yet. You can also just go face because Pirate Warrior feels kind of real. Now, I'm not sure when I would be running Pirate Warrior over Demon Hunter. Where are the specific advantages there? That is definitely a problem because Demon Hunter is just such an efficient, aggressive deck that it's hard to have a reason to run any other aggro deck other than Demon Hunter. Pirate Warrior is a good deck. Definitely a good deck. Its win rate kind of fell off, which is something that we expected and talked about last week. But it's it's definitely viable and competitive. The problem is, why would I run this deck over Demon Hunter? The answer is probably not. You probably run Pyre Warrior just because you want to jam Pyre Warrior. There are some matchups where it's better. Uh, it's better against a few slow matchups. Like It's a little bit better against Priests and Warlocks because you have more immediate damage and can really pressure the life total early and just smash them. Uh, well, Demon Hunter needs a little bit to get going. It's not as explosive, but Agro Demon Hunter beats Fire Warrior because there is no deck in the game that can match uh, Demon Hunter's board control tools. It just shoves everything out of the board. The only class that has might have better board control tools in the early game is Rogue, which brings us to the point that I made a few minutes ago. Now, we'll talk about Rogue in a little bit, but that'll wrap up our Warrior discussion. We have to talk about Druid, because this is the class where I feel like we're not done yet. We haven't figured it out. But not just us, but everyone. There was one spell Druid deck for a while, and then people tried adding Breath of Dreams to it and Maligos. And now we're kind of splitting these two decks into, do I run Glowfly Swarm? Or do I run Breath of Dreams? And they seem to be different decks now. What's going on with Druid? You promised me before the podcast, we spoke offline, and you said, this Druid section is going to blow your mind. I am ready. I am ready to hear what's going on behind the scenes. So, so Druid is a class that's on the brink. It's a class where if, if you had to ask me, what if there will be a meta-breaking class that will change the game, what will it be? Then I will tell you. Probably Druid. Now, will it actually break the game? Break the meta? I'm not sure, but it feels like it's on the brink, and it's just missing a few things to be top tier. And it may not find those things, but we did do an extensive analysis into the Druid class this week in an attempt to fine tune it into being a tier one deck. Because right now it's looking like a tier 2 deck. It's looking like a good deck, looking like a good class, but not Demon Hunter Warrior level. So we looked at all the options that Druid has available because he has multiple variants and also has things that are kind of in between. So the first thing we looked at is the Savage Roar build, right? The one that doesn't run Breath of Dreams. 
uh, we looked into the bill this week. And what we noticed is that with the rise of the bomb control warriors and decline in matchups like Hunter and Rogue, um, Ysera is a little bit more important uh, right now. And the reason why she's important is that she has a high threat density. And what we, when we did our analysis, what we noticed is that when, when this deck doesn't run Ysera, it kind of needs, it kind of asks for threat density in the late game. We have a way of evaluating whether specific effects are missing from specific deck. Not just cards, we can pull cards that have similar effects and evaluate the importance of that effect on the deck. And when we look at threats, ability to put things on the board and threaten the opponent, the deck is missing something when it just rounds the Mount Sellers and the Glowfly Swarm. Now, are we happy adding Ysera? Not exactly, because Ysera is still not a great card in this deck because it doesn't have the ramp, and Ysera doesn't, just doesn't have the uptime in this variant, because the variant is pretty fast. It wants to kill people with Savage Roar. It wants to flood the board, ideally play a Soul of the Forest. That's the best strategy that it has at its disposal. And usually the games end a little bit quicker. And that means that Ysera, the portals, are less likely to make an impact on the game. Now, how would we improve this deck in theory? We would replace Ysera with a threat that is faster and comes online earlier. Now, this is a vague theoretical suggestion, but what we say here is, Ysera, with Ysera, this deck is fine. This deck is good, it's tier two, but it's probably gonna stay tier two. But if we can find a way to add threat density to this deck in the form of perhaps other minions that can fit the game plan better and earlier, that deck has tier one potential. And this is what we found in our analysis. The deck needs a little bit more threats and it would rather have these threats come line earlier than the Ysera. Right now we're running Ysera because there's nothing better. However, if you remember, we didn't know that Evil Quartermaster was nuts in Bomb Control Warrior because it wasn't played. So who knows what's out there? Um, so this is our uh, suggestion to explore. This variant has tier one potential if it finds something a little bit more efficient and faster than the Ysera. For now, we're running the Ysera. Now, there is another way to improve this deck, which is to just make Ysera better. How do you make her better? You increase her uptime, her playability, and you do that by ramping. If you have more ramp, then that nine cost is a little easier to swallow which means we run Breath of Dreams. And what we've seen this week is that people are started running Breath of Dreams in Savage War lists with additional dragons and Emerald Explorer in order to ramp a little faster because Breath of Dreams is a really good card, so why not just run it in the Savage War variant? And Ysera definitely performs better when you have Breath of Dreams. Um, however, what we've noticed is that people took the hybridization a bit too far by cutting a copy of Power of the Wild, cutting a copy of Savage Roar, and kind of being a half-and-half -half deck. And what we very quickly learned is that these are not good ideas. You have to run double Savage Roar. You have to run double Power of the Wild because these are your payoff cards when you flood the board. When you play Mount Seller, and flood the board, or you play Swarm, and your opponent doesn't deal with what you developed on that turn, you have to punish it immediately, ideally win the game in that moment. If you don't have a Savage Roar in your hand, you will very likely miss it and scream for it. And running set double Savage Roar is extremely important. So what we've noticed is that the Breath builds are underperforming compared to the vanilla builds, but it's not because they're running Breath of Dreams necessarily. It could be because they're not running Savage Wars like they should. Double Savage Wars, double Power of the Wild. So we've shown a build in the report. We featured a build that does run double Savage Wars, double Power of the Wild, and cuts a Moonfire instead. And then, once people play that, we'll be able to compare the two variants and see what's better. Now, let's talk about Moonfire a little bit. What we did is we realized that we had to cut a spell, 
So we kind of lined up all the spells against each other as if you put it on a starting line of a sprint and see who comes last. And what we saw is that Moonfire is the weakest card in the deck, both in the early game, mid game, and the late game. And the reason is pretty logical. When you look at all the other spells in this deck, all of them have good utility without Mount Cellar. You have Crystal Power, it's a removal heal. Wrath there. You, their, their roles are very important regardless of whether we want Mount Cellar. And then they're great with Mount Cellar too. Moonfire is only good with Mount Cellar and pretty useless outside of Mount Cellar. So what we suggest is perhaps we should be cutting Moonfire and seeing whether... Mount Cellar drops in its performance to the extent where it's not worth it, where we have to run Moonfire in order to activate Mount Cellar. But I think the deck can do without Moonfire because Mount Cellar is a very powerful card and it doesn't seem like it's starved of cheap spells to activate. So this is our suggestion. If you want to run Breath of Dreams, try cutting the Moonfire and see if you miss them. In addition, in the vanilla build, there is a way to cut Moonfires for a card in Claw. And what we really like about Claw is that it's very good against Demon Hunter because it provides you with another way to remove uh, early board developments from the Demon Hunter. Druid usually loses in the early game by not checking a Battle Fiend or an Overseer and getting hit with too, many, too much damage before it's able to stabilize and having a Claw can help. It's also a cheap spell, so it works with Mount Cellar. Yeah, it doesn't work with Mount Cellar on turn 7, but that's the point. Is Reducing the power of Mount Cellar just a little bit without the Moonfire worth it because Moonfire is a useless card outside of that application or not? That is the question we raise. Yeah, and we're noticing a pretty similar trend. Claw, Sword and Board, Spy Mistress. They're all one mana Demon Hunter tech cards to kill Battle Fiends. And that's really all you need them for and they work out just fine. Theoretically, the, the Claw shouldn't make a difference. It to Mount Cellar because we'll have spent it before our 7-mana turn to survive. So the goal is that the difference between Claw and Moonfire shouldn't be noticeable outside of our life total being a little higher. Exactly. And that matters a lot. We need our life total to be high. And um, yeah, you, you said it very well. We need 1-mana answers for a Battle Fiend and a Satyr Overseer um, because if we prevent snowballing from the Demon Hunter in the early game, and they need a lot more damage in the late game to finish us off. Um, so this is what we suggest. It could work out. We could end up saying, hey, Moonfire next week might be too important for the Mount Cellar. Or we could be saying, hey, Moonfire is not actually needed. We'll see. Uh, but there is also another variant, obviously, the third variant of, of Spell Druid, which doesn't run Savage Roar. And it's more about running big dragons. And it did have an important development this week, which is cutting Glowfly Swarm. Uh, Glowfly Swarm, why are we not running Glowfly Swarm and Spell Druid? Did you read the card? Of course we need to run it. But in this deck, it's not actually good. It's kind of a trap card, actually, because if you don't have Savage or, or Power of the Wild to punish an opponent that doesn't have a way to remove it, then it's just an overstated 5-drop. And in addition... It's particularly weak against Warrior. I'm sure if you've ever played Druid and you play Glowfly Swarm on 5, you ask yourself afterwards, why did I just give my Warrior opponent free blood boiled brutes? Why did I just do that? It just doesn't work very well in the matchup. And also, it doesn't work well in other matchups too. As I said, you don't have buffs. Where does it hurt you? In the Rogue matchup. That's the only matchup where we saw that it's better to run Glowfly Swarm than the alternative, which is what we suggested, adding the second Wrath and a Wild Growth. It's just an upgrade. Um, however, there's another thing, and we're being a little bit experimental here in providing direction for opportunities for this particular variant to maybe improve, and that's exploring what happens if we cut Malagos and the direct damage package. Again, what happens if we cut Malagos Moonfire and Swipe. Not, swipe is not really a great card in the current meta because you don't have a lot of targets. Most of the things in the current meta has to have two health. And it's very optimistic to think about the situation where you develop a 
single Malagos on the board, and your opponent doesn't kill it, and then you swipe him to kill him with some OTK. Um, usually it doesn't happen. If you have time to play the Malagos and it's not answered, you pretty much won the game already in that situation. Uh, so we suggest perhaps we want Claws instead of the Moonfires. Perhaps we want more Ramp, double Wild Growth, and another Dragon that we saw performing quite promising over the last week, which is Twin Tyrant. Twin Tyrant is a stabilizing dragon because it has immediate effect, removes two minions, has good stats, very good for Ironbark. Twin Tyrant Ironbark is a pretty devastating play, um, especially like in a matchup like Warrior where they usually have two mid-sized minions on the board and you just taunt up the Twin Tyrant and just, just game over for them. Um, so you could try that out. Um, in general, this variant, without the Roar, without the Swarm, is better against Warrior. But it obviously is weaker against Rogue. It's weaker against Warlock because you don't have the burst potential through the Savage Roar finisher. And there's so many different ways to take Druid. Which which direction do you personally prefer to go when you're playing the deck? Do, are you more of a of a Glowfly Swarm Savage Roar or, or are you leaning into this Dragon stuff? I got Legend uh, after the latter reset using a very similar list to our Dragon Spell Druid, I think I still had the Moonfires, uh, though I've been running without them. But yeah, Twin Tyrant was really strong, and I was just surprised at how frequently the game is just keep your ramp cards and then play a big dumb dragon as soon as you can, and that was almost good enough uh, more often than it wasn't. Yeah, so it's it's hard to say. I think I'm tending to lean that the Savage War variant is stronger because it gives Druid a more streamlined and easier game plan to to finish opponents off. I always say if you have a way, if a deck has a way of finishing its opponent off earlier, and it's going to be a stronger deck. So the Dragon Spell Druid is a little bit slower. It gives more time for the opponent to find their outs or execute their own game plans. However... I really like it at High Legend when there are a lot of Warriors because it is better against Warriors. Glowfly Swarm is a card that feels very bad in that matchup. And this is something that I know we've been asked before, but I think it's important to clarify. Can you go into a little bit why we cannot list these as separate archetypes on the website? Well, the issue is, as you can see, is that it's very difficult to identify these archetypes because we have to infer what deck the opponent was playing based on the cards that it played. We cannot read what the opponent's hand is. We cannot know what the opponent's deck is. We know what the player's deck is, the tracker side. Uh, you know what your deck, your deck is when you're playing, so we know too. But we cannot tell what the opponent's deck is. We have to infer what his deck is based on the cards that he plays. And Druid is a very passive early game class. Sometimes it dies before you can figure out what you were playing against. So when that happens, what what does how do you recognize? Do you do you label it Savage Roar or do you label it Dragon, big big dragon spell? So that's an issue because if you start, let's say you suggest, okay, so let's say the big dragon spell is the slower variant, so we're going to assume if you have a, a slow draw, then it's probably that. You're going to start labeling, mislabeling losses from poor draws. You start, you're going to start labeling them as the, the big variant, and that big variant is going to look worse. However, if you identify it based on playing Malagos or Alexstrasza, then you're obviously going to have a huge bias because if the Druid had time to play these cards, then that means it had a more favorable situation and was more likely uh, to win the game. So we have to be careful when we identify decks or variants, different variants, that we don't insert selection bias into the recognition because that could bias the way that we evaluate each variant. So when we can't do that and we do extensive testing to make sure that we do it correctly or to make sure whether we can do it at all, that comes into play when we decide whether to split archetypes apart 
or keep them together. If we keep them together, then we provide some verbal uh, direction on which variant is better in which matchup because we have an estimate based on the tracker side performance, but we cannot come to a conclusive number of this matchup is 55-45. Because if Agro Demon Hunter plays against the Dragon Big Spell Druid, there are many games where the Druid dies before you can figure out what variant it is, if it was the opponent playing. Uh, so that's very important. Also, obviously, with this hybrid build being very popular, you can't even tell based on Breath of Dreams. And even if you could tell based on Breath of Breath of Dreams, it's a bad idea because you don't want to recognize a deck by whether or not it played one of its highest win rate cards. Actually, the highest win rate card in the deck. Yeah, the difference between a Dragon Druid with Breath of Dreams and a Dragon Druid without, the only difference is about 10% in the win rate. So we can't really say, well, Breath of Dreams means they are Dragon Druid when we can't say lack of Breath of Dreams means they aren't Dragon Druid. Right? Exactly. We, we can't correlate those two things. So makes sense. We can still gain a lot of value by just looking at how do I beat a spell druid draw with whatever I'm playing, regardless of the type of spell druid it is. Uh, but it's, it can be really risky to try and identify it based on cards you see because you don't know about the games where you don't see them. Yeah. We would rather provide less information that is accurate rather than pretend we have accurate information and mislead our users, our, our readers, and our consumers. I like that idea. All right. We've covered the three big developments here. Uh, let's do some quick hits on the remaining classes. So Rogue, we've talked about it a bunch today. Uh, it sounds like you're a big fan of the stealth variant, at least for Demon Hunter targeting. And also it sounds like Rogue is a, is a, it's a class that can beat any matchup, but not all of them at once. You kind of got to pick which direction you're going. Yes, it was uh, quite frustrating trying to refine Rogue this week because you need to target so many matchups and the answer is in front of you, but you can't fit all of them into the same list. The thing about Rogue is it has great potential. It has great potential at beating Demon Hunter consistently. However, the Warrior matchup is awful when you do that. In addition, we have Druids showing up to the party and... Most of them play Glowfly Swarm, and that is very, very painful for the Rogue unless they have Flick. Um, so we kind of had to juggle around trying to find a solution for Rogue, you know, trying to beat Demon Hunter, which means running Spy Mistress, but then also trying to figure out what to do with Warriors, which is a very, it's a bad matchup, and it's very frustrating trying to run into Warriors, especially at High Legend when you're playing Rogue, and trying to figure out what to do with Druid. So, Faceless Corruptor, really good card against Warrior, bad card against Demon Hunter. Um, Spy Mistress, good card against Demon Hunter, pretty bad against Warrior. What do you do? What we found is Questing Adventure. And Questing Adventure wasn't very popular on Ladder, but it has promising potential on Ladder for two reasons. One, it's excellent against Druid. It makes that matchup a lot closer. You're no longer unfavored, potentially with Questing Adventure, and you have a lot of game, you can just snowball it out of control before they're able to exert the, their game plan after ramping. But what's great about Questing Adventure is that it's also good against Warrior, because again, you can snowball early and put the Questing Adventure out of the Warrior's removal reach and win that way, just snowball on the Enraged Warriors that way. And that allows you to cut Faceless Corruptors, because instead of trying to come back to the board and trying to respond to the Warriors board development later on after the, the, in the mid-game area, you try and snowball in the mid-game through your questing adventure uh, and get ahead instead of falling behind trying to come back. So um, the build that we featured, uh, the stealth uh, questing adventure uh, rogue, is probably the best way to kind of answer all of these matchups. Is it perfect? No. But it's probably not tier 3. If it was extremely popular, it was the most popular build, then Rogue would probably return to tier 2. If it didn't have this uh, warrior matchup to deal with, Rogue would have tier 1 potential. Let's say Druid is not a top tier, uh, or a super popular class. It can cut Questing Adventure and run Frozen Shadow Weaver and stomp on Demon Hunters. And if it didn't have to deal with Warrior, then the, this build on Ladder would be fantastic. It's just that the Warrior matchup, even with Questing Adventure, is still difficult. 
it just gives you a better chance of contesting them. Yeah. You can't navigate all those matchups. It's just impossible. And I noticed whenever against Warrior with Rogue, uh, I won if I had Edwin. So playing two additional scuffed Edwins kind of makes sense. That you just you just hope for, make a giant body before about turn five, or by about turn five, and then hope that gets you there. Before they do Risky Skipper Wrangler. That is the back-breaking play. Usually turn five to assist, they do Risky Skipper Wrangler. And if you've played any amount of Rogue on Ladder, you know how frustrating that play is. So get ahead earlier than that. Try and ramp. I'm not saying don't keep questing adventure in your opening hand against Warrior. Don't do that. The goal is to try and snowball questing around turn five, turn six, so that their Risky Skipper turn is not as effective. Uh, but uh, yes, pretty much. Yeah. Difficult to do, but it's still possible. Uh, and if you'd rather play secrets, secrets seem like they're not terrible, but they're way worse against Demon Hunter. Like going for, for that slower plan, you might be good against a druid that doesn't have Glowfly Swarm, right? Because Blackjack Stunner is really, really good there. Uh, but I imagine it makes a lot of your faster matchups trickier. You can run Spy Mistress in the secret variant. I've seen uh, Bloody Face actually bring a secret build. He was uh, he cut the prep in the Devoted Maniac for two Spy Mistress in the build that uh, we show in the report. It's a good move. However, it kind of makes your other stuff weaker. You don't have space in the secret build to really optimize everything that's going on. Running six invokes makes your Galakron a little bit sketchy. And not running prep obviously makes your secrets worse, uh, especially with questing adventure and Hanar. But that is indicative of understanding what the problem is with Rogue. They need a way to challenge. Yeah. And it, it's just a better fit of doing that with the Stealth Fairy, because you're running Spy Mistress anyway. Yeah, it, it doesn't take up deck space that you weren't already using, so it's it's easy enough to lean in that direction. Yeah, I buy that. Um, speaking of decks that that have trouble challenging Demon Hunter early, we should talk about where Highlander Hunter went, because right after the uh, the balance changes, it was by far the most popular class, and it was doing very well, and it seems to have taken a nosedive in popularity this week. Well, it continues to, to nosedive in popularity. It's still a very good deck. It just cannot beat Demon Hunter, and it doesn't have the tools to really improve that matchup, because Hunter doesn't have good comeback men mechanics so you just face a demon hunter over and over and you get smacked around and it can be frustrating and as you know demon hunter rises in popularity then hunter's win rate is going to go down there's no doubt about it very good deck has good matchup spread but doesn't beat demon hunter story for a lot of these decks in the yep uh how's mage doing mage is doing okay we expected it to do worse this week and it did Bomb Controller is a very annoying matchup. Highlander might have, uh, Highlander Hunter might may have declined, but um, Bomb Controller rose in play, and Mage is the Highlander deck that has the most trouble playing its game plan when its Highlander payoffs are deactivated because Hunter can still play Nagrin Slam against Warrior, and that's effective. He can still play big, uh, beefy dragons and pressure even without Zephyrus or Dino Tim and Brand. But Mage just does have an, has no game against them if if they're shut off. So that's a difficult matchup. Probably your best bet is Caster on six into Power of Creation, something like that. That can catch the Warrior off guard sometimes and win. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely more difficult. Um, and then we have you know Quest Warlock, and Quest Warlock does a lot worse against Bomb Control Warrior. That matchup is horrible. And it definitely nosedive in its winner because of the rise in popularity of this deck. And when you think that Warrior, Bomb Controller, was just, you know, it was 4% of the meta at Legend, and it hurt Warlock that badly, then think what happens if, let's say, Bomb Controller doubles in its play rate by next week. Probably not going to happen, but the more it rises in popularity, the more this 2080 crippling matchup is going to affect Warlock. And the deck is definitely in trouble. It's maybe one of the most lopsided matchups I've seen in history. It's up there with Freeze Mage Control Warrior, yeah. Quest Rogue Odd Warrior. It's a horrible matchup. You know, a lot of people say, just run Ooze. Oh, great. I'll run Ooze and I'll improve my uh, win rate against uh, Bomb Control Warrior by 5%. 
while making myself worse against every other class. And then we get the coveted 25% matchup instead of the 20%. If you run in that matchup regularly, just don't play the stack. There's no point. Yeah. It's just terrible. Yep. That makes sense. And uh, have we seen any signs of Zoo? I know that Pizza is running it with Nat Pagel and Lore Walker Cho. I have to, like I haven't been able to evaluate the stack yet with the Lore Walker Cho and the Nat Pagel. I really hope it's good because that would be hilarious. But I'm a bit skeptical yes. that it's actually good. I think this is a Pizza good player thing rather than Zoo being good thing. A bit skeptical is a very nice way to phrase it. But at the same time, my hope beyond hope is not that this is good. My hope is that we have enough sample size to evaluate it, because that means so many players went out and just made these 04 classic legendaries. And uh, I I would be tickled by that idea, that everyone's just going out like, I got to go make Nat Pagel and Laura Walker Cho. We'll tell you next week whether to craft your Nat Pagels and Laura Walker Cho's. But next week, not this week. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that yet. I think I'll save my dust for now. I think I'll hold on. And and I got to save my dust anyways for Golden Nazdormu. You know, going to get that dust back anyways. All right. Well, that's going to wind down our show. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, the next report we have will be on Thursday, June 11th. And any feedback you have, share it with us on the Vicious Syndicate Discord or on the Twitter or or in the comments in the article. Get in touch with Get in touch with us however you want. Uh, however you can. We also read all the Reddit comments and uh, and any feedback you have is much appreciated. Zach, any closing thoughts? See you next week. I'm excited to see what happens next week's very important report, I think, for the dramatic music future of the Hearthstone meta because we'll be able to learn whether the meta is able to answer the meta tyrant. Can it, can it do anything to respond to the this oppressive class that just refuses to be nerfed effectively. Yeah, they they haven't they haven't even nerfed it that much, right? It's only three times since the expansions come only out. Only three times. Only three times. I mean, we've got Quest Rogue in that spot of being nerfed three times. So we'll see if Demon Hunter can break the record. Yes, we will see. Well, thank you very much, Zach, and thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.